Hello and welcome to Jade Talk Stuff. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about the Fast and the Furious movie franchise. And before you even think about switching off, hear me out. The Fast and the Furious franchise isn't just a movie about fast cars or girls in short skirts. It's being invited into a close-knit friendship, sharing life's ups and downs. There's births, deaths and marriages, but most of all, it's about loyalty. Plus the character arc of a cop turning to the side of the so-called criminals is always intriguing. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is this franchise essentially changed my life. Because when I saw my first Fast and Furious movie, which was actually the sequel, Too Fast, Too Furious, I didn't have a license. And it was partly that movie that inspired me to finally get my license. But from the first movie, I was hooked. And I rarely re-watch movies, but I've seen all of the Fast and the Furious movies multiple times. I recently re-watched the entire collection in the order of events, which is not how they were released. But whilst the last movie does have its flaws, the whole series is a journey. And most franchises past the second movie tend to fall by the wayside, losing the key actors and ending up going straight to video. But The Fast and the Furious is one of the few franchises that not only gets stronger as it goes along, but it retains its entire crew throughout. And the reason for that is they weren't just acting in a movie. These actors were friends in real life. They hung out on weekends. Paul Walker and Vin Diesel were like brothers from another mother, so much so that Paul's mother referred to Vin as her other son. Vin was also the godfather to Paul's daughter Meadow in real life, and Vin Diesel named his daughter Paulina as a tribute to Paul Walker. Vin Diesel and Gal Gadot regularly tag each other in their Instagram posts with their kids. So when it comes to shooting the films, the crew going out for dinner after shooting all day, it wasn't forced, it was a natural friendship something that director Justin Lin regularly talks about. In the first movie, Paul Walker, who plays Brian O'Connor, is a young FBI agent who is sent deep undercover with street racing enthusiasts to find out who's responsible for a number of daring, highly skilled heists on truck drivers taking their loot. But of course, what happens is he befriends the group's leader, Dominic Toretto, aka Dom, played by Vin Diesel, and falls in love with Dom's sister, Mia, played by Jordana Brewster. I'm not going to give away plot spoilers throughout this, but there's little moments, like locations, cars and dialogue in the first movie that weave their way into almost every Fast and the Furious movie. They don't just use any old cars, and unlike what you may expect, they don't go for the most expensive cars either, although that does kind of happen in the last movies. But to start off with, true to the street racing culture, Dom uses American V8s and Brian uses... Mitsubishi Lancers, Toyota Supras and Nissan Skylines, or in other words, Japanese turbochargers. Even if you're not a car fanatic. Hey, remember, I didn't even have a license when I saw my first Fast and the Furious movie, which was also ironically the case for some of the actors. Like Jordana Brewster didn't have a license and had an intensive driving course where she not only got her license but also learnt to drift as well. Which reminds me of a deleted scene. There was a scene with all the male actors, shirtless, talking about the first time they drove and when they got their license and so on. It was meant to be some eye candy for the female viewers, but the tempo didn't match the surrounding scenes, so it was cut. But in it, Dom says something like, Life can be split in two parts. Life before having a car, and life with a car. And once you drive, you can't go back. 
It's a shame they couldn't weave that in, but it was ad-libbed, I think, too. But it's so true. Since getting my licence, after being inspired by these movies, my life has completely changed. From exploring road trips, to jobs, to daily life, and I couldn't imagine life without a licence now. Throughout the Fast and the Furious franchise, the cars are extensions of the characters. In every movie, every car is chosen based on the character's personality and attitude, which makes it easier to figure out who the goodies and the baddies are. Although, one of the defining moments of the franchise is the old switcheroo, where a goodie turns bad and then a baddie turns good. It happens more often than you'd think. The other thing is, Paul Walker was a car fanatic in real life. So some of the cars he drives in the movies were actually his own cars, like the Toyota Supra. Besides the main movies, there's mini-movies that tie one movie into the next, which fix up plot holes and basically lay the scene for the next movie. Most of these can be found online, but if you get the Blu-ray DVD box set, they're included in the extras. The sequel, Too Fast, Too Furious, takes us to Miami, where Brian is once again tasked with using his driving skills to infiltrate a drug cartel as a driver to help take down the leader. With The Fast and the Furious, it's one of the few franchises where each sequel is bigger and better than the movie before it. There's bigger stunts, faster cars, although always the choice is American V8 versus Japanese turbocharged. And there's, of course, more at stake. Even though in the first few movies, characters seem to come and go, there's certain characters that are introduced that all come together later on. So Too Fast, Too Furious introduces Ludacris, who plays Tej, and Tyrese Gibson, who plays Roman Pierce. Both become major characters later on. Too Fast, Too Furious also includes Eva Mendez, who plays a deep undercover agent, and who makes a few cameos later on. One of the greatest scenes in this movie, and no matter how many times I see it, I still find it amazing, is the breakout scene, which involves Roman and Brian trying to elude helicopter surveillance, but driving into a garage which gets surrounded by cops. But then when the doors open, out comes hundreds of cars driving in every direction. The cops have no idea what's going on. Every Fast and the Furious movie generally has one massive stunt, with the exception of the later movies, which have two or three. But one of the big things about these movies is they always use real cars for the stunts. In one movie, I think it was number seven, they wrecked something ridiculous like 200 cars. And for every main car, there's at least four or five backups used in different types of scenes, like close-ups or drift scenes. There's also certain shots you'll notice are duplicated throughout the series, which becomes signature scenes. I find it comforting having these scenes because... Even though there's been five different directors, you know there's certain elements that make a Fast and Furious movie. And these are, every movie must have a street race. Every movie has a scene, or more, where someone blows their nos too early. Every movie has a scene where usually Dom or Brian shoots their nos just enough to win. Nos is basically a gas tank in the car that when you push it makes the car go extra fast. Nos is short for nitrous oxide. Every movie always features American V8s versus Japanese turbos. Except for Tokyo Drift, where it comes down to a Japanese engine in an American V8 body, which is quite intriguing and a nice way to tie them together. Also, every movie features catchphrases like ride or die, 10 second car, family is the most important thing in life, and who could forget Dom's common catchphrase, I live my life one quarter mile at a time. And one of Letty's favourite lines is... I smell skanks anytime there's a woman that shows Dom any attention. Also, every movie finishes with all the cast sitting around the table, drinking Coronas, eating dinner. So you ask, well then isn't every movie the same? Hell no. 
every movie takes you on a journey and combined you can't help but feel like part of the family. By the time you come to watching movie number seven, which is the one that Paul Walker died halfway through filming, you genuinely feel like you've lost a brother. Whilst they finish the film with Paul's brothers as stand-ins and new CGI, who look and sound similar, you know that Jordana Brewster filming her final scene must have been heartbreaking because Paul was her on-screen husband and now she's having to film it with his brother because he's no longer there after 10 years of Fast and Furious movies. And it's partly this which is why movie number 8 had the toughest job. The cast seems empty. They're clearly still grieving. And whilst I have no doubt that Paul would want the franchise to continue on, it was always going to be a tough call to replace the brotherhood and camaraderie that Brian and Dom genuinely had. Whilst Tej and Roman have picked up some of that, using The Rock's character, Hobbs, and Jason Statham's character, Deckard Shaw, as buddy-buddy, just kind of felt awkward. That said, in the later movies, the girls get more action fight scenes, and Charlize Theron plays a genuinely awesome baddie. And Helen Mirren, as Owen and Deckard's mum, showcases what's possibly her greatest role ever, even though she's uncredited for it. Having different directors gives each movie a different feel and flavour, but it's those common scenes and main actors coming back that keeps them strong and keeps the overall feel of the movies concise. Probably the biggest influence on the movie franchise has been director Justin Lin, who made movies 3, 4, 5 and 6, which gave him the opportunity to tie storylines throughout and bring back characters that had appeared in earlier movies. And it's his influence that revitalised the franchise and built the foundation into the multi-billion dollar brand that it is. Justin actually studied the first Fast and the Furious movie at film school. So to have a fan of the original movie take over to continue the legacy, you know he's going to look after it. It's not just a quick cash grab. And he's been crucial to keeping the crew as tight-knit as they have, which is why he's also been brought back to make movies 9 and 10 to finish off the franchise. There's few movies where the fans feel they are just as important to the journey as Fast and the Furious. And most big franchises are simply to entertain. Think James Bond, Mission Impossible, who try and keep fans coming back with bigger stunts and more explosions. But Fast and the Furious not only captures a culture of street racing, it is the only franchise that makes you feel you're not just watching a movie, you're catching up with old friends. I should stress as well that whilst racing and car chases is always a big element in these movies. It's not the main point. Ultimately, the storylines are all about solving big problems, catching criminals, watching friends' backs, with a little romance thrown in for good measure. Bringing Dwayne The Rock Johnson into the franchise certainly added bigger star power, because unless you'd seen the movies, you may not know who all the actors are, which of course helped bring in a wider audience. But the problem with that is when you have the rock in a movie, you expect him to be the centre, the one to save the world. And frankly, in the Fast and the Furious franchise, there is no I, there is only family. Each actor is just as important as the next. So when you get to movie 8, where Hobbs needs the skills of the Toretto crew to solve a major international criminal syndicate intent on taking over the world, you can tell that he expects to be the centre of attention. Plus, and I know this is his character, but he's such a misogynist, which is totally against the values of the rest of the crew. Always in every Fast and Furious movie, the women are part of the team. They hold their own, they drive fast cars, they jump out of cars, and as the stakes get higher, the criminals get bigger, the women beat up the baddies just as often as the men. There's a fantastic fight scene in number seven with Ronda Rousey, the MMA and wrestler star, 
who's a security guard for a rich Arab, and another woman, who I won't mention because if you haven't seen the movies, it's somewhat of a plot spoiler to earlier movies. Anyway, they're in ball gowns and high heels because they're at a party, and in that fight, they're performing backflips and jump kicks, and it's incredible choreography that brilliantly matches the circumstances. The franchise has also broken numerous records, including Fast and the Furious 8, has the most bold male actors ever in a movie. Fast and the Furious 8 had the biggest explosion in a movie filmed in Iceland. Fast and the Furious 7 was the quickest movie to reach $1 billion in ticket sales, beating Avatar by two days, but then it lost out to Jurassic World years later. Also, Fast and the Furious 5 was the highest grossing car chase movie of all time. Fast and the Furious 8 was also the first American movie filmed in Cuba after Obama lifted the sanctions. Which, of course, brings us to the stunts. Yes, every movie has to have bigger stunts. And at the end of each movie, you think, wow, how could they possibly go bigger next time? Yet somehow they do. The thing is, they're not just bigger. They're also cleverer, more skillful, and in some cases, break new ground in movie making. They use real cars in every stunt. And in many cases, the actors are doing the driving. Probably one of my favourite stunts or scenes was in Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, where they're racing through the streets of Tokyo and they drift through a huge crowd at a pedestrian crossing in Shinjuku, which is a huge intersection that's appeared in many movies like Lost in Translation. Anyway, obviously in that case they couldn't actually film in that intersection because there's too many people and they would get in the way. But even when they filmed it in a closed set, there were people on the road running away as the cars came drifting around the corner. Speaking of Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, there's a scene where Lucas Black, who plays the character Sean, is learning to drift, and there's a couple of old fishermen commenting on his driving. One of those guys is actually Kunimitsu Takahashi, who is the racing driver attributed to inventing drifting in the 70s, and he actually performed a number of the drifting stunts in the movie. But the funniest thing is, at one point he had to pretend to drift badly, and that was the hardest thing for him because he'd spent so many years learning to drift perfectly. Whilst Tokyo Drift was released third in the franchise, story-wise, it actually fits in as number eight. If you include the mini-movies Turbocharged, Prelude, and Los Bandoleros, which was directed by Vin Diesel. So if you want to watch the entire franchise in sequential order, it goes like this. Number one, The Fast and the Furious, released in 2001, which introduces Brian O'Connor to Dominic, Mia, and Letty, Dom's girlfriend. And as mentioned, is about Brian trying to find out which skilled drivers have been ripping off trucks. Number two, Turbocharged Prelude. This simply shows Brian driving across the country and ending up in Miami, and he's more like watching a music video. Number three, Too Fast, Too Furious. Brian is in Miami and has to infiltrate a drug cartel to try and bring it down. Number four, Los Bandoleros. This short film basically shows Dom and Letty living in the Dominican Republic and the poverty which sets up the opening scene in Fast and Furious. Number five, Fast and Furious. This movie brings the original cast back together and essentially pits Dom and Brian against each other, trying to take down a Mexican drug cartel. It also introduces Gal Gadot into the franchise. Number six, Fast Five. This is when the franchise goes big. It brings everyone together. It also introduces Dwayne The Rock Johnson and has one of its biggest stunts in Rio. Number seven, Fast and Furious Six. This takes the crew to London and brings chasing down Owen Shaw. There's a lot more to this, but I can't reveal anything without giving away plot spoilers, so I'll be quiet. Number eight, The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. This is essentially a standalone movie, 
but ties in the character hard to the rest of the movies, and Vin Diesel has a cameo at the end. Number 9. Furious 7 This brings Jason Statham into the series, as Owen Shaw's brother, Deckard, who is intent on taking down Toretto's crew one by one as revenge. It takes them to Abu Dhabi, and brings in some cool technology and bigger flashier cars. It also has a beautiful tribute to Paul Walker at the end. Number 10. The Fate of the Furious or sometimes referred to as F8. This movie gets a bit crazy story-wise. Dom turns against the family, baddies turn good, enemies become friends, but it had to happen to move the franchise forward. It's still an impressive movie, and whilst the main actors seem empty without Brian, it was always going to have a tough job. There's obviously way more that happens in these movies, and I'm not going to give away every stunt or plot twist, because part of the enjoyment is experiencing everything firsthand. But what I'll say is this. Just when you thought the movies couldn't get any bigger, they do. Just when you think the stunts couldn't get any crazier, they do. The movies are also quite funny as well. Obviously they're not classed as comedy, but there's enough one-liners throughout to keep everyone entertained. However, the most important thing is many of the movies have secret scenes at the end of the credits. So make sure you watch every movie till the very end. If you get the box set, then you'll find the mini-movies in the extras menu. Otherwise, you can find them online. Lost Bandoleros is interesting because it's quite arty, and you can tell that Vin Diesel was trying to portray the realities of life in the Dominican Republic, a country he loves. You may also notice product placements throughout the movie. This mainly applies to the cars and car parts, but probably the random one is in one car crash scene at the beginning of Tokyo Drift. There's a bottle of Tabasco sauce in the car, because you know, everyone keeps Tabasco sauce in their car. The other thing about the movies, as they go along, is they end up in different countries yet still manage to capture the car culture and personalities of the location they're in. From drifting in Japan to Aston Martins in England to classic Chevys in Cuba, they encapsulate beautiful scenery with stunning cars and a close-knit crew. I should also point out the music for each film is put together by Brian Tyler, and because he's there the whole way, the music always perfectly fits the feel of each movie, from R&B to drum and bass and everything in between. The final song in Fast and the Furious 7, See You Again, written by Wiz Khalifa, was written just for that movie as a tribute to Paul Walker and won many awards. You can watch any Fast and the Furious movie, and they each hold their own, but I recommend watching all of them in the order of events to really feel like you're part of the family. My mum recently watched number eight without having seen any of the movies, and even she said afterwards, yeah, it was pretty good, I enjoyed it. So there you have it. If my mum, who has no interest in cars, can enjoy it, anyone can and will. Lastly, if you're still not convinced, with everyone going crazy about the movie Crazy Rich Asians because there's a predominantly Asian cast, it should be noted that the Fast and Furious movies have had the most diverse cast of any movie I've seen and continue to do so throughout the franchise. You'll see multiple Asians from different countries, African Americans, Africans, Latinos of multiple backgrounds and Israelis to name a few, and not just token actors. These are main characters throughout and always have been part of the strength and popularity of the franchise, along with a strong list of female actors who don't just talk about men, they talk about saving the world, or in Charlize's case, destroying it. And no, I'm not getting paid for this, I'm just a huge fan of the franchise, and I hope to inspire others to have their lives changed by an incredible set of movies. Thank you so much for listening to Jade Talk Stuff. If you love travel, check out my other podcast, Travelosophy, which features life lessons learnt from travel. Head to my website, jadejackson.com.au, to read my blog. You can also buy prints of my incredible travel photos. 
a copy of my play, Compass, or just send me an email. You can tweet me at Jackson, or send me a voice message on Facebook and I'll play it on my next podcast at Travelosophy Podcast. And of course, if you love the show, please make sure you leave a review, especially one with words, not just stars, on iTunes or your favourite podcasting app, as it helps other listeners to find my shows. Thank you so much for listening to J Talk Stuff. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.